bachelor theme podcast on, on Tuesday. Tuesday. That sounds fun. Have you done so the you, lot? You, have you, you done you watch The Bachelor? I do. I would just watch it when I was married. My wife and I would watch it, and then like I got secretly just way into it. And now you're single and you watch it. And now I'm single and I still watch it. <laughs> it's a <laughs> now, but now I watch it for work because yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I do yeah. the podcast with Arden. So but it's like, have you done the live shows? Have yeah, you done, oh, yeah, you yeah. Have done the live mm-hmm. shows? Yeah, yeah. I'm doing the San Francisco next weekend. Okay. Yeah. Is that Sketchfest? Yeah. Fan, goddamn tastic. Yeah. Well, we'll promote that on this. Have yeah. We, have we pressed? Yes. Record. We have. Whoa. There's an intro that Richard just dropped in. Welcome wow. to the Brando Cast. Rob Benedict. I'm here. Sitting here. Someone who actually, we should have been best friends for we the sh- past 30 years. Seriously. We I, truly should have. There was a whole thing with, like, where I was like, I knew you in, in college. I knew you, you were a little bit older than me. Yeah. I watched you and stuff. And like, you're one of those people that really intimidated me in school. I, <laughs> I wanted, <laughs> wanted to be an actor like you. He intimidates uh, me now. <laughs> you seem like the real deal, right? And I was like, I wanted to be that guy. <sighs> so, uh, yeah, and it took us this long. Here we I are. know, but we really, we I, we truly could be best friends yes. because there's a reason why I, I chose you to come in this, to, to kick off the very first BrandoCast of the uh, year 2020. Oh, that's, yeah. It's wow. very exciting. Awesome. We're back after a holiday break. We're also sitting here with super producer Richard Sheltinga. Yep. Hi, Richard. Hello. And Rob, the reason I know that you are a music head like me. Yeah. To the point where... Rob is an actor. Rob is a writer, director, producer, mm-hmm. everything. Mm-hmm. But you're also a real working musician. Yeah. Yeah, I'm in a band. Who fronts a real deal band called Loud and Swain. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So you have taken your love of rock yeah. and done what I have never truly had the courage to do, which is make it a full-time thing. I mean, I can shake my ass every once you in a while. You do sometimes, yeah. Sometimes. But you do the full deal Loud and Swain. Yeah. Which I have so much vast respect for. I think it's just the coolest thing. Yeah, and it's the same guys. You know, we've been playing together since the late uh, 90s. Okay. Wow. Yeah, and the the three of us have been... The, that together since then, like 97, 98. And then one guy joined like 2004. Uh, just mention those guys. Uh, to, so to, for Mike, my aunt Jean, who's yeah, the only one who's Mike, listening to this Mike podcast. Borja, uh, Steve Norton, Billy Moran and myself. Fantastic. Make up the band. Yeah. And were they friends in real life or were they guys that you just found? And one said, guy uh, went to grad school at Northwestern, Mike Borja. Okay. And uh, we were playing guitars together just as a thing. Like we would just play covers together. And then, um, then we met this other guy, Steve, through another guy through Northwestern. Right. He was a drummer, and then we started playing together. I was like, oh, shit, this is a band. And Mike switched over to bass. It was like, oh, we're doing it. And then I started writing stuff that got a little too complicated to sing and play at the same time. A proggy? Well, no, I didn't no. say proggy. <laughs> no, just, uh, just solo-y. Yeah. You know okay. what I mean? Anyway, then we met this other guy, Billy Moran, because we used to play with his band, and they broke up, and he's like, you want another guitar player? And we're like, oh, fuck, yeah. So then he joined the band, and then it, it was great. Then it kind of became what it is now. That's fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, do you love it so much? Yeah, it's awesome. It's such a release. And I never put, um, you know, as an actor, I always put a lot of pressure into like getting work. And, you know, it's it's like it really is my like bread and butter. It's like what I was trained to do and yeah. all that. So this is really, I've never let this get to the point where I'm like, we got to sell more records. You know, it's like right. it really is if no one listens, I'm okay with that. It's really just an outlet for me. 
I love expressing myself this way. And I've been lucky because, you know, fans have found out about us and they, now people come, you know, people. and you can travel around the country. I mean, you, oh, yeah. you've been, have you been all over the States? Yeah. And we've been internationally too. Yeah. Fantastic. It's been great. And, and a lot of it is thanks to just being on like this show, Supernatural. I've been right. on for the last, uh, mm-hmm. like 10, 15 years. Right. And my friend Kim is on that show. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Rhodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have to tell her that she's, oh, yeah. I, I love her. Yep. So we do the conventions together and all that. And that's been a place where the Fantastic. band has been able to come and play and, yeah. um, you know, meet new people and they hear our stuff and they like our stuff. And so it's great. So we're going to Austin to play next weekend and we're going to play. In- so you're doing, you're doing a, a live, uh, uh, will you accept this rose, a podcast with Arden, our friend Arden uh, Marine yeah. at Sketchfest, And then you're flying it's to Austin. The opposite. I'm going to Austin on Saturday, Sunday morning. I get up and fly to San Fran. Fuck dude. <laughs> That's a dream weekend for me. <laughs> it's truly a dream weekend. Yeah, yeah. We play two shows in Austin. You're living my life. <laughs> and I brought you in here to kill you because there can only be one. No, that's fan. That's so exciting. Yeah. And I, where are you playing in Austin? I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you. We'll, we'll cut the part out. So I know you. You're going to put, this is going to be the start of the show as I put my glasses on and have to look up the name. But of like the, a club. The, the Red Door. Fun. The Red Door. Fuck yeah. Yeah. I'm going to double check. That's it. But yeah, that's it. Yeah. So it's uh, two shows. We'll play an early show and a late show on Saturday. That's amazing. Yeah. So Congratulations. Thanks, man. I thanks. love the song Eskimo. Oh, awesome. That's awesome. Thank you. Okay. So with, with all of this in mind, usually what I do on the Brando cast is I play uh, people uh, a band that they might not know or might not like, and then we see where the conversation goes. But yeah, I, so I did a little bit of research. I reached out to some mutual friends. Oh. Uh, to Hank Chilton, shout uh-huh. out to Hank Chilton yeah, and to Nicole out. Sullivan, oh, okay. who both got back to me immediately because <clears throat> okay. I said, "What does Rob like?" Ah. And they gave me a bunch of different choices. I'd love to guess. So, I, oh, oh, let's <laughs> you, play that game. Okay, let's play that game <clears throat> first. Okay, tell me. Um, it, was there? A, Hank gave me three or four people. Uh-huh. Nicole gave me a couple people and was emphatic about one. Okay, I bet you Nicole was emphatic about Pearl Jam. Um, wow. I, and I bet you Hank gave you Wilco. The first one. <laughs> wow. Wow. And maybe my morning jacket. He did not, okay. but that's amazing. Um, who else would he, uh, Bob Dylan. Bing. That was number two. <laughs> Dylan was number two. Um, and then I said, because of your first two choices, I said, what about this one? Replacements. And Hank Chilton said, yes. Yeah. Bingo. And I said, we're going to do that. Sweet. Because Cats and Kittens, this is one of my god bands. Rob, when you and I were at Northwestern and you were studying theater, Uh I was more interested in pretending that I was a replacement (laughs) to the detriment of my studies. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, No, it wasn't. I had a fun time, but I didn't walk out of of there the the, the cream of the crop of the theater department because I was more interested in looking like Tommy and Paul. Trust me. The replacements were an American rock band formed in Minneapolis back in 1979. Shout out Minneapolis. Are you from Minneapolis? No, my brother lives there. Okay, fantastic. Hi, Rob's brother. Initially a punk rock band, they are considered one of the pioneers of alternative rock. For most of their career, the band was composed of guitarist and vocalist Paul Westerberg, guitarist Bob Stinson, bass guitarist and rock god Tommy Stinson, and drummer Chris Mars. The Matt's music was influenced by rock artists such as The Stones, The Faces, Big Star, Slade, Badfinger, and The Beatles, as well as punk rock bands like The Ramones, 
the New York Dolls, the Dead Boys, and the Clash. And I'm going to say this to you, anyone who's listening to a replacements nerd. For me, the replacements history is vast and important. And I'm just going to say, I'm not going to like give you a full-blown history of the replacements. But I just need you to know that it was I... If someone said, oh, Brendan loves the replacements, they got me. Okay, great. It was so fucking important to me. Wow. And so when did you first find out about them? I first found out about them because of a subscription to Rolling Stone. And it would have been the review of uh, Let It Be. Wow. Because I grew up in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Mm -hmm. And for people who listen to this podcast, they know that I was a metalhead in high school. Mm -hmm. From seventh grade to the day I left for college, it was, for me, it was Maiden, Priest, Rush, Van Halen, ACDC, Dio, Sabbath, all that. Yeah. And and I, because all those bands came to Albuquerque, I went to show after show after show after show after show. But as I got older in high school, I started to branch out a little bit. And MTV helped to expose me to a bunch of different artists. And when I first heard The Replacements, it hit me like, a t- it just fit me. Yeah, yeah. Because I felt like if I was to be in a band, I would want to be in The Replacement. Mm-hmm. I would want to be a replacement. Yeah. The way they dressed, their yeah. attitude, the way yeah. they walked, that yeah. sort of like indie, fuck it. Sloppy. Alcoholic. Alcoholic. Alcoholic, alcoholic, alcoholic. Yeah. And then, so when I got to Northwestern in the fall of 1986, okay. I was already into the replacements, and Chicago was an incredible place to be, yeah. to be a replacements fan. Yeah. Because they came. Yeah. I saw them downtown Chicago. In the late, it must have been eighty nine ninety at the at the Aragon Ballroom. Yeah, exactly. I was in the, I was in the second row. Wow, wow. Uh, with the Slamming Watusis as the opening band. Well, yes. Wow. See, the fun thing about having you in today is we're going to have a parallel life because yeah. you and I were in the same places yeah. many many times, right? Because this guy, your friend Brendan, mm-hmm. I spent a great deal of time at school, going out and going downtown right. and going to punk rock clubs and rock clubs. And going to see shows. Well, look, I mean, we, we went to school in you Chicago, know, right. and like now, I think we can look back and say, I mean, what what would it have done you any different to get straight A's in Northwestern? You, you weren't going to go into law, <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I mean, I there's a part of me when I first came I out to LA, I, I was like, discipline. why the fuck did I go to college? I didn't need to do oh, that. You, you know what I'm saying? So uh-huh. here we are in the best mm-hmm. city, one of the best cities in the world. Yeah, you should be doing that. Yeah, I'd go back as your ghost of Christmas past and be like, you did the right thing, man. <laughs> <laughs> You see, when you did this and you went here, you could have been studying, and I'm glad you weren't. Well, I, uh, Rob and I were both in the theater department at Northwestern, and I uh, got a C in crew my freshman year. Yeah, crew sucks. Crew sucks. And crew is, when you're a theater major, they make you basically be a slave yeah. and be a crew member on a big on a big stage show there. Mm-hmm. And I was doing costumes mm-hmm. for the show Rashomon. And I remember that the Grateful Dead were playing in like Alpine Valley <laughs> on like the weekend of a show. So I lied about having to go to my uncle's wedding because going to see the dead in Alpine Valley was like what everyone in my done fraternity was doing what everyone in my social circle was doing yeah I couldn't not be there you yeah. know what I'm saying yeah yeah so I got to see because they knew that I was lying but and now looking back aren't you like I'm so fucking glad <laughs> yeah I, yes. you know what I mean yes but I think my brain is like but yes but you would have learned what it's the importance of discipline ambition drive and focus how to, right <laughs> and how to make a zipper 
on a dress. Well, that's the way that I looked at it then. Like, <laughs> yeah. who cares about me? Yeah. And also, a zipper on a mouse tail. I don't know what the show was, <laughs> but we had to learn how to make tails. I remember having to make a table. I, would, I did props. And then I also, when you, they make you actually go on to a, you're, you're, you're on the, you're running the show. Right. <clears throat> so I had to do the, uh, you know, the pulley kind of thing where you, you bring something down on stage. Yes. I had to run the pulley on the side of those ropes. Do you remember what the show was? Yes. It was uh, Danton. Something about Danton. <laughs> Danton's death. Yeah. Danton. Was Danton's Rob, death. It was Rob Nagel. The Revenge of Danton. Danton's. <laughs> <laughs> I am Danton. It's something. Okay. He's French. Right. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. So anyway. And what did you have to drop? Like a giant rock? Yeah. God, I can't. I, honestly, I put it out of my memory. Like it was something super boring. It was like a. It, no, it was like a. It was a. You know, it was like now it's night out. And it was like a dark. You know, panel that came oh, out. You know okay. what I mean? That kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. A backdrop. There you go. Uh huh. Yeah. There's nice. a word for it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But I'm. I mean, there are so many things I miss. I wish I'd seen more. Of. But I saw REM, who's also one of my favorites. I okay. S- yeah, I saw them uh, at uh, at what you just mentioned, the place in Wisconsin, the, the Alpine Valley. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is so great. I did not go to REM at Alpine Valley. Um, that was '89, and that was the Green Tour, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had his face painted. Yeah, it, was, mm-hmm. it was pretty great. What was your favorite show when you were uh, in college? Replacements was uh, is definitely up there. Yeah. I mean, because you, you also thought, you, I felt like I was watching, um, I knew it was a historic thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? I yep. knew that it was a once in a lifetime band to see. Yep. Um, in an incredible space. Yeah. Then the energy of that show, I will never fucking forget that night. I got punched in the back of the head because the minute they, they ended the show, which was incredible, even the slamming Watusis from Madison, Wisconsin were good. The lights come up and they start playing Teenage Lobotomy by the Ramones. Yeah. And there were a bunch of like super drunk guys in the front who were really mad that the show was over. And they just started swinging. And one guy hit me in the back of the head. But I didn't care because I felt like I've got the story that I got punched at a replacements concert. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was like dude. it was like a souvenir. It was wow. like I got a shirt. Wow, I don't know if I would have reacted that way. <laughs> well, I wouldn't have like fought back. I would just be like, "Why don't you like me?" <laughs> I'm really sensitive. I always think that like when I'm watching pro sports, like I'm, I never played athletics yeah, very you, well. Yes, um, and but I I like. I'm like, I'm a fan. Uh, yeah. My brother was an athlete, so I oh. would go to all his basketball games. Anyway, now I find myself watching baseball and, and football. But I'm always like, if it were me, and like I did something wrong, I, like, you know, people that fuck up, they like fumble or whatever. Yeah. And, and the coach would be like, dude, come on, you should have had that ball, you know? I'd be like, I'd be like, I'm sorry, coach. <laughs> like, and later, I feel like I would have gone up on the sideline and been like, coach, are you still mad about the first quarter? <laughs> Can we get past this? Can we get past this? Yeah, that, that kind of, um, those kind of emotions are not welcome in sports. <laughs> no, not at all. So if I was at the replacement show and I get hit in the back of the head, I might be like, why? Yeah. No, that was an incredible night. I love, oh God, I love that. And that was one of those nights where we stayed up. Just, we just, yeah, I was, I was buzzing. What a great place too to yeah. see a show. There are a couple places like that, uh, that are in uh, Chicago that are amazing. I also saw them at the Riviera on the place to meet me tour. That was a big night. Amazing. Yeah. And, uh, and then, and this will come up later. Because I kind of do this in chronological order. Okay. Uh, when they open up for Tom Petty at uh, Poplar Creek. Wow. That'll come up later in the uh, in the deal. Did you know? Well, you know this. I don't even have to say. Do you know this? You do know this. Kids don't follow. Early replacements, kids. Oh, this is like this is the this is what I hear in my head. 
when I'm just like walking around in Target. Yeah, when the band's right. first album, Sorry Ma, Forgot to Take Out the Trash, was released in 1981, <laughs> they received positive reviews in local fanzines. See, I skipped over the part where they met their, their fuck-up teenagers in Minneapolis. The Stinson brothers have a band in their house. They have Chris Mars. Paul Westerberg hears them playing. He wants to be in the band. Go. <laughs> it's in the book uh, Trouble Boys, which is an incredible book about the replacements. Go get it at your uh, library or order it on Amazon. All right. Anyway, the album contained the band's first single, I'm in Trouble. Amazing song. And also the song Something to Do, an homage to another Minneapolis punk band and one of my god bands, Pusker Do. Uh, amazing, who's could do? Equally as yeah. insane for who's could do as I am for fucking love. Yeah. Sometime in late 1981, the replacements played a song called Kids Don't Follow. Twin Tone Records founder and band manager Peter Jesperson thought it sounded like a hit and quickly pushed the band to record their eight song EP Stink, which includes the math classic Kids Don't Follow, the song, which so I bought. Good. At Vintage Vinyl in Evanston, did Illinois. You? Yes, I did. That's, did you ever work there? <laughs> You're, we really should have been best friends. I should have. Yeah, you should have. I should have. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it, there's another life where I do run that. an indie record store. Yeah, somewhere. yeah, yeah, yeah. You're. It's like uh, what's the book? Um, high they, fidelity. Yeah, high fidelity. Yeah, I was. I was given that book immediately when it came out. So yeah. I was like, here's your autobiography. Totally, totally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember thinking like, they got to make this new movie. And it's like, oh, they already are. Okay, cool, cool. <laughs> like one step behind Hollywood. Right. Uh, yeah, amazing, dude. Amazing. Um, yeah, that, I mean, Chicago had all of that. I mean, that's that's the best thing about where we went to school, I think. It's like it's the location, you know. Beyond, uh, I always say that. Number one, <clears throat> Chicago was incredible. Mm-hmm. And for me, and I, and for you, the, the being there at that time of indie rock mm-hmm. and the ability to go see shows at the Cabaret Metro, mm-hmm. the Aragon, the Riviera. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All the all the the little clubs and the little bars, and then going to see blues bands, mm-hmm. going to Roses, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, you know, going yeah. to get, you know, yeah. you start at Kingston Mines, and then you find yeah. your way to the better clubs. Yeah, and when yeah. we went to school there, Evanston really sucked because they, they yeah. there was no drinking. They had all these really strict rules. They were still kind of run by the women's club of something or other. Yeah. Well, what was it? Some religious women's club? Well, the, the, the Evanston was just steeped in the history of prohibition. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. So it was dry. Yeah. So it was really the antithesis of what you where you want to go to college in terms of a town, right? It wasn't a college town. Well, another reason why your friend Brendan kind of stumbled through the theater department was because on Monday nights. <laughs> the Greek world went to the PM club on Howard Street, which is the, the dividing line between, mm-hmm. I'm not explaining to right. Rob, I'm explaining yeah. to podcast listeners and to Richard. The dividing line between Chicago and Evanston is a street called Howard Street. Right. And that's where the bars were. And, and the, the, the bar of choice for Northwestern students was a place called the PM club. And Monday nights at the PM club was required... Uh, attendance. Right. So I. <laughs> you were there. I was there. Yeah. Yeah. And when I was a sophomore, to be able to say, like, I haven't missed a Monday this whole fucking year. <laughs> you know? But you still turn in good work. You did good some good performances. I did, but later. Late, I think later. I was, I, I, the, my first two years, I was, I was too much in love with Chicago and with like 
oh my God, I can go see all these bands because right. I because I grew up going to see concerts mm-hmm. and the ability to go to see concerts in Chicago was it was so easy. Yeah, I should actually give a shout out to uh, the band Lime Credo. Who, okay, when I went to <clears throat> tell me when I went to school, there uh-huh. was a band. I, mean, I feel like every sort of Northwestern class has a band. Someone forms a band. Yes, anyway the. The band were made up of my roommates at the time. Lime Credo was this Northwestern, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, Northwestern band that, you know, that played a lot. And so I would I would get turned on to these clubs through following them. Like they would, you know, play, uh, God, there's one underground club that you went downstairs. Oh, they played all these like, you know, where a band starting out would play downtown Chicago, right? right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I saw a lot of great venues and did a lot of cool stuff just following the band. I was just like, I was the dude who was their roommate who was just at every show, you know, yes. yeah. and learned a lot. Right. I learned a lot as a guitar player and music band. And the guitar player in that band, my personally, my roommate for all four years, uh, Mark Drenning, he's the one who turned me on to the replacements. When I came to college, I didn't know them. <clears throat> okay, you didn't. Like I should have. No, right, I knew sure. of them. I grew up in a college town in Missouri, Columbia, Missouri. Okay. And we got REM replacements. They all came through town. I knew their names more than I because I couldn't get in to see them. Right. And then when I came to college, like, Drenning was like, he was the first person that kind of walked me through replacements, uh, like, deep REM stuff that I didn't hear, right. hadn't heard, and the Smiths, who I was like, this was a fucking great band. Incredible band. Yeah. But REM, I will say this, is also like a springboard. They're the yeah. they're the, the gateway. Mm-hmm. They're the gateway drug to indie mm-hmm. rock. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At no, that time. Then I found out about Bob Mould, who's Gurdue. Right. And yeah. But I was a late bloomer with all that. Okay. I grew up in an MTV stuff. I just didn't I didn't deep dive very much. My guy, I had a guy too. My guy was this guy named Matt Sweeney. And Matt Sweeney went on to now he's a hired gun producer and a, he's a big deal guitar player. He's played with yeah, I know that name Neil Young. He's yeah. played with uh, he's toured with Iggy Pop. He's yeah. toured with uh, with uh, Sweet Caroline. That is Neil Diamond. Yeah. He's played with everybody. And when we were in school, he signed to Twin Tone Records, and that was the record label that the Replacements on wow. were on for their early records. Wow. Because Twin Tone was in an indie. Uh, band uh, indie label out of Minneapolis. So Matt Sweeney had a band called Skunk, and Scott Marshall was his roommate. Oh no way! And I knew Scott's sister Kathy. And when uh, Scott got to school, Kathy said to me, "Hey, would you help my brother out? Would you shepherd my brother into the cool world?" And blah 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 blah. And Sweeney, they were roommates. And so immediately, I have this guy who's like, "Oh no, I know music." Here are the bands you need to listen to. Sonic Youth, Das Domin, Urge Overkill, you know, before they broke, like all this stuff and, and, and Soul Asylum. Mm -hmm. And we would drive up to Minneapolis to see other twin tone bands when Skunk would play. And Mm -hmm. it was a really, he was really the guy that really shepherded me. And he would say like, yes, all these clubs are great, but you need to go to Batteries Not Included Right. On this night, because this person is playing, right? And he, so he was the guy. Wow! Wow! Yeah, you have to have that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You do. You, you have do. to have that guy. <clears throat> Absolutely, like your music older brother. You know, you always. Know. Yeah. Even even when you're a little kid. Yeah. You need that guy. Did you have that guy when you were a little kid? Um, my sisters. So my oldest right, sister. Right so I'm the youngest of four. So my oldest sister is like ten years older than me. She really liked. She's child of the '70s. Right. And she really liked. A lot of the a lot of the bands in the seventies, and she liked a lot of funk in the seventies. So, like, I grew up listening to like Sly and the Family Stone records. Oh wow! And Earth, Wind, and Fire. She and loved Parliament and, and yep, and Parliament and that route. And, and she she liked that, but she also then also liked Sticks. Yeah, and fucking just I remember getting the Sticks albums and the just like 
getting in there. Like their albums are like a toy, you know, they're all like 3d and shit. You can make puzzles and stuff like (laughs) (laughs) sticks. The sticks actual vinyl was amazing. As you and I are sitting here, Mm -hmm. sticks is getting ready to go on stage at the Saban theater on Wilshire and La Cienega. Really? Tonight. No way. Yeah. With who? Who else? Just them. Just I, them? I don't think they need anyone else to. Really? They don't need like Foreigner or someone like that to sort of... <laughs> well, I think the Saban, that's where Marianne Williamson has her Course of Miracles uh, uh, seminar oh. every Monday night. So it's not a giant theater. Oh. It's literally on Wilshire and La Cienega. Wow. Okay. Have, okay. You not, have you never been there? I think, did it recently change its name to Saban? Yes. You're right. It was something else. I don't remember what it was, but yes, yes, yes. Yeah, is it at Wilshire and like Olympic? It's at like Wilshire and just one block, literally one block east of La Cienega. Okay. Next yeah, to the yes. Hustler building. Yes, I know exactly. Right. Okay. And so he, that's where Sticks is tonight. I've seen a, I have been there. Wow. Yeah. That's, there were tickets available when Richard and I checked the other oh, really? day to see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There, I wonder if it's the OG lineup. Well, it's it's Tommy Shaw. It is Tommy Shaw. And it's James Young. Okay. And then I think... Did that other dude die? Did somebody die? One of the Panazzo brothers died. Uh-huh. Uh, one of the Panazzo brothers is still alive and plays like a couple songs. Bass. Plays bass. I don't think he plays bass for every song, though. Really? I think he... No, I think, I think he's also... I mean, up I'm there so, in age and I'm, ill. I'm so embarrassed. I don't. I'm not up on sticks. Yeah, right Chuck and John Panazzo <laughs> <laughs> for bass and drums for sticks. But yeah, and then the hired, they have a hired gun. They have a hired gun who sings the Dennis DeYoung stuff. Okay, and he does a sort of <clears throat> imitation. Yes. Yeah. His great voice though. His great voice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what. That's what Journey is now, right? Is that? Yeah. Yes, Journey is fronted by Arnel Pineda. Yeah, the <laughs> Filipino you, wonder. Have you seen him live? No, I've seen the documentary. Okay, no. I've seen it live. Okay, and it's <laughs> if you close your eyes, it sounds like it, it. sounds like Steve Perry. Yeah. yeah, but he flies around like a little bumblebee. Yeah. all over the stage and just runs and runs and runs and runs and runs and. And now he's made a name for himself. Was Absolutely, like you go to see him as much as anything. I could not name one new song they've written. As oh God, no! With, with no, I even recently saw something on, on YouTube that was Neil Sean like working out, like playing this guitar. It was like a, I don't, it was like a Les Paul thing or something. They're like him playing the brand new something or other. I can't remember. I just was the thing that I walked away with was the song that he played. Like he played lights. And lights okay. go out in the city, like he, yeah. he. That's, but like he didn't. You know what I mean? You're Neil Sean. You've been playing that for thirty years. Like, here's a guitar. Try it out. It's like, right, let me check it out. <laughs> really? We're going right to that. There's nothing else in the. You know what I mean? In forty years. Exactly. Did it sound good? Yeah, it sounded great. I mean, it's Neil Sean. It sounds awesome. But I'd love to like see him branch out a bit. <laughs> you know well, Richard saw him. Uh, not we're. we're it's music nerd off yeah. uh, talk tonight, but uh, uh, Richard went to see uh, what's what's it called? Bigger than Journey? No, no Beyond like Journey? Voyage? Journey? Back voyage. in time? I don't, I don't journey know. Voyage? Like the original Journey, like yeah. with Greg Raleigh. Yeah. Oh, and they Dean played Castronova on yeah. drums. Oh, that's what they played c- at the Orpheum downtown. Oh yeah. wow! He, it was like a year ago. It he was went. Pretty incredible. Really? The band was pretty incredible. Wow. Yeah, yeah Greg, I mean, Greg Raleigh's amazing. And on so keyboards. does that mean, um, what do they play that, what was a hit from that journey? Um, to, um, well, they play a lot of the old stuff. They up, play like, up, just the same way you love me. Yeah, yeah right. Infinity. Just the same yeah, way right. you love me. That's stuff that Greg Raleigh used to all sing. All stuff yeah. Greg Raleigh used yeah. to sing. Interesting. It's yeah. Pretty cool. Um, did you see what I did there? Yeah, I love the signals. I do I do a little wave at Richard when it's time to It's time to move, move play forward. a new song. Now we're getting into it. Yeah. 
Color me impressed. Have you ever played this in your band? No. I think you need to. Okay. <laughs> Great. Hoot Nanny, the band's Hoot Nanny was the band's second studio album. It was released in April of 1983. It was a more mature album than Stink and Sorry Ma. And it saw Paul Westerberg expand his songwriting capabilities on songs like Within Your Reach and the college rock classic Color Me Impressed. Robert Criscow of The Village Voice deemed it the most critically independent album of 1983. And as I read this, we did not play this at my birthday show, and I wish we would have. They... Two things. They had the best names of albums ever. Yes, they did. Thank you. And also, like, this is... They, they, like you said, they gave they gave a, a sound the college radio sound. That's what this is to me. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. You, you you listen to college radio to listen to this. I'm still looking for that now. I mean, I listen to Sirius XMU for new music sometimes, but even that, it just it's not this. Sirius XMU. It's okay. like it's college. It should be. It's college radio. It's very independent stuff, but it's uh it's still pretty polished. Did you listen to? Did you have a, you have a period where you listened to KXLU here in Los Angeles? Yeah, for sure. Okay. When yeah. did you come to Los Angeles? 1993. God damn it. Yeah. We, we wasted a lot of time. Yeah, dude. Yeah, because I was here in 1990. So you came out right after school? Came out right after Same. school. With Same. my With my four of my closest friends, who I've said on this podcast many times. Yeah. We had a house in Hollywood, which included Betsy Thomas. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, I came out with my group of people. Um, and and settled in here in '93, and then like a few months after I got here, beginning of of '94, uh, was the earthquake. I was like, "What the fuck am I doing here?" Right. <laughs> so it's crazy. Were you here then for the riots? I came right after the riots. You came right after. So the LA riots. was in a weird place. Yes, it was. Yeah, and I moved in. I moved to West Hollywood. It was my first place. Okay. And uh, but it was like kind of right on the edge. But the earthquake hit hard in West Hollywood. Yeah, dude. And the ten broke in half. And like, I was like, "What the fuck am I doing?" Like, you know, I was really fresh out of college. It's like, is this where I want to be? Is this <laughs> do you remember? Uh, do you remember the feeling when the earthquake started? Yeah, like literally at four thirty in the morning that yep, day. Totally. Where and so you're in your apartment in, in my bed, uh, and it's uh, with my girlfriend, uh-huh. and the bed is like moving across the room, like <laughs> sailing across the room. It was a feeling of the hand of God. That's what I would always say. It really is like someone's just like shaking. It's like a globe. Yeah. It was the weirdest, scariest. Power was out. Lines were down. People are freaking out. Technology isn't what it is today. So it's not like we had cell phones. None of us had cell phones. No. Only rich kids had cell phones exactly. back then. So, were, and there wasn't, we, no one even had computer. There was no internet. Yeah. My roommate freaked out. He was like, he had a girlfriend, but she lived like two miles away. He's like, I'm going to get her. <laughs> <laughs> and he brings out his, um, what's the thing you used to put on your car to lock the wheels? The jack, the low jack? Or no, 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 the uh, hammer. It was like it, a, it was like a, what was were a, they called? Oh, God damn it. Right, the jack. Yeah, the jack. The something yeah. jack. It was red and it went over your steering wheel. Right, and you had the little key and, and you, you had locked the key it. to unlock it. Right. And anyway, he took that and he just, as his weapon. He's like, I'm just going to take this. He really thought there was, we were, the, the feeling that the here, society had broken down. Yeah, and he might need to beat someone up. Yeah, on his way to yeah, get it's like we're just on the verge, or we're... lock somebody's car. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> he's gonna go break into a car. <laughs> Somebody, yeah, he's like, go help. So he, so he did he make that track? <laughs> so he did it. He oh did it. Oh my god! But they they didn't last. And one of the reasons when he went over there, she was like, "What are you doing here?" <laughs> <laughs> But did he leave at like five in the morning? Yeah, he was in, it in the dark. People. Yeah. Oh shit! In the dark, in the early, early morning dark, with his low jack, he ran uh, two miles to be with her. 
she was on like Hayworth and we were on Sweetser. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. My, uh, I was dating someone and uh, in a big relationship at the time and we were almost going to bed when it hit. And we did light a cigarette off the stove, which is really dumb. Don't do that. (laughs) Do not do that. Yes. That's the number one thing not to do. (laughs) But then we went back to sleep and then we woke up late and she worked at NBC at the time. And we woke up late because all the power had gone out and she was worried about, about uh, getting in trouble at work because she was late. And then when I went outside into the world to try to find out from a neighbor what was going on, then I realized like, oh shit. No, no, no. The whole city was shaken last night. Yeah. And everything is closed. Right. So when you lit the cigarette, you didn't know. No. The extent of it. No. Well, no, you, no, no, you no. You were no, at no. a house. But I was at my girlfriend's apartment at the time, which was near La Brea and Third. Okay. Because like, yeah, I was in an apartment complex, so everyone kind of came out and was yeah. like... Oh, people came out, but once sort of yeah. like the car alarm... I remember the car alarms going off, like mm-hmm. every car alarm went off. Yeah. Were you yeah. here, Richard? Nope. For the earthquake? Nope. So fucked up. My favorite story, and this links into this podcast, is my friend Greg Saran, who was, I had lots of roommates in college with. I lived in a big house my senior year. A lot of guys were there. Uh, Off-campus house was pretty great on Foster. Anyway, um, for you Evanston people. Um, And so uh, we, this guy... Greg Saran, amazing guitar player, guitar major at Northwestern, now plays with B-52s. He's always on tour with some band, being their guitar guy. Um, anyway, he was he's friends with, his cousin was married to Slash. Oh. And in the 90s, when I came out here, he came out to visit early to, uh, 94, 1994, early 94. And he said, come over, I'm in Slash's house. Like, holy shit. So I went over, we hung out with Slash in Slash's house. And it was like amazing. I'm like, so I'm 23 years old. And, and this is Slash in 94. And, um, and he was like, uh, he was in his leather pants, like drinking a whiskey at three in the afternoon. Hey, Slash. Yeah. Hey, Slash. <laughs> you ever been to Evanston? <laughs> um, anyway, so... He, my friend, was there during the earthquake, staying in the snake room. What's with, the snake room? It's where Slash keeps all of his snakes like a zoo in plexiglass. Live snakes? Live snakes. I'm not familiar with Slash's snake room. I should right. be. Well, it did make sense, though, right? Holy shit. Yeah, yes, it's, it it's on brand. It's on brand. So all around the <gasps> every wall is a plexiglass thing with dangerous snakes. Like... <laughs> Deadly snakes behind. So the power went out. Oh, no. It was up off Mulholland. Oh, no. Shook like crazy. Greg, my friend Greg, is in the dark, and all he hears is... (laughs) 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 He has no idea if he's safe or not. So a cobra could literally be like, oh, jailbreak. (laughs) Let's eat the fucker who's sleeping in this room. Exactly. Holy shit. Yeah, yeah. So That's That's fantastic. It's a pretty good story, but he luckily didn't know plexiglass broke. Uh, and thank God Slash had earthquake-proof Proof plexiglass. Glass. Yeah. <laughs> Only plexiglass. the best. Only the best. I think, well, that's a fantastic yeah. story. Yeah, I remember, welcome to the jungle. Uh, that's fantastic. I remember uh, the line for the Burger King on Sunset in La Brea literally stretching almost to Highland because they were one of the only places oh, shit. that were serving food. Wow. Like that next day, like in the afternoon. Right. After every, after everyone realized like the city is on fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there the were, 10 freeway has collapsed at Fairfax. Yeah. Like all that shit. Yeah. And, and, and people, uh, and there were still like pretty heavy, um, the aftershocks. aftershocks yeah. yeah. That was, that was the thing that rattled a lot Unnerving, of people. Unnerving. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I worked at the Carnegie Deli in Beverly Hills. Oh, and, and, and was the Carnegie Deli closed the next day? 
No, it was open oh. and it was packed with people. Oh shit. Cause people were like needed to eat. And did they demand that you get in there? Yeah. I got in there. Oh shit. It, I literally would, was waiting on tables when it, the earth would shake an aftershock. Just like, oh. and then did you want rye or woo? <laughs> <laughs> did you witness, did anyone kind of freak out a little bit when, uh, when, yeah, it, when everyone, it starts to at, roll? At Carnegie Deli that day was really on edge. Holy shit. Yeah. They're like, Oh, they can fill the fish and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and just the, the coffee black. How did you get to work? Uh, I drove. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Just drove. Just drove there. Amazing. Yeah, I didn't take the freeway. <laughs> That's not open anymore, is it? No, now it's like a, a J. Crew or something. Okay. Yeah. It was right there in the middle of Beverly Hills, though, back in the day. Wow. Yeah, big, huge deli. That's amazing. Yeah, here we go. I I did it again. It's I like gave him, baseball signals. I gave him a little wave. Or you now. told him to steal second. <laughs> <laughs> How critically important is this song? Very. God damn it. Ladies and gentlemen, this is I Will Dare by The Replacements. This might be, this is I, maybe top five songs of for all me time. of all time. Important songs for me. By the time they started recording their fourth record, The Replacements had grown tired of playing loud and fast exclusively, so their new material placed more of a focus on songwriting. And it was influenced by metal, arena rock, and Chicago blues. Let It Be was released in October of 1984 to critical acclaim, which is why Rolling Stone had it. Chris Gow gave the album an A+, and Seattle rock critic Bruce Pavitt called Let It Be mature, diverse rock that can well shoot these regional boys into the national mainstream. In 1989, Let It Be was ranked number 12 on Spin Magazine's 25 Greatest Albums of All Time list, and it made number 15 on Rolling Stone's 100 Greatest Albums of the 1980s. So good, man. So Let me ask good. you a question. Yeah, <clears throat> tell me. And Richard, you might ask be able me. to chime in on this. Is Paul Westerberg rich? Has he made a lot of money? That is an incredible question for our music biz pro, uh, pro here, yeah. Richard Sheltinga. <clears throat> he... He has written some theme songs for like the, songs that have been singles in movies and shit like singles. that. Singles. Joan Jett had a hit with one of his songs. Okay. I mean, he hasn't had to get another job. No, but he doesn't tour constantly. No, he never tours. No, and they didn't get the like you know pop level acclaim. Thank God for you and I, but like, you know, that but, doesn't... But they wanted it, but didn't want it. But wanted right. it, but didn't want it. Right. But one, they were always self-sabotaging. Right. So they never had a monster hit. Right. They never had a single become a pop single that will pay for the rest of your life. Yeah. There are two guys in my band that come from like metal that never were into this. They were more... They went the route, Guns N' Roses route. Sure. And then me and the bass player, Mike... Uh, really dig indie rock and you know replacements and so we we will play them so- replacement songs and they've never heard them you know what I mean and I totally, just like yeah, play them Alex Chilton and they, they've just never heard that song well they didn't even play the replacements on MTV yeah right they didn't no because the replacements refused to like play ball exactly and, like make a good video exactly. that would pop yeah their their uh Reaction to make, have being forced to make a, and we'll get into this in a little bit, but being forced to make a video for Bastards of Young was a single shot on a speaker. Right. Yeah. And MTV didn't play that. Yeah. So could, can you make a decent living? Can you, if you're Paul Richard, Westerberg. here's the question on the table. If you're Paul Westerberg and you've, I don't even think they've ever had a, an album sell 500,000 copies. No, I would say in total, all of their albums have probably sold two to three million records. And I think that that's generous too. Yeah. 
Yeah. Which is crazy. <clears throat> he's but, had, but he's written right. some hits for some other people. But they just never, like you said, they, he just wouldn't play ball. He so. wouldn't play right. ball. And that, and was, that was always the... If you're going to make that money. Was, there was, that was always... The problem. Didn't they put out a recently put out some kind of box set in the last? Well, Rhino sure. Records has their stuff now. So yes, they 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 re released the record um, like earlier this year, right? Didn't they put out something earlier this year? I thought someone told me they, they did. And I, you were um, going to get to that. I'm sorry, I'm well, ahead. no, no, no. It doesn't. It, it, it's 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 pointless. But they they re released the record. It, oh my God! Don't tell Soul. Right. But they re they released. A reproduced version of that. They weren't happy with the version that came out, so they went back to like the original tapes and released the version that they wanted to put out. Mm-hmm. But that's I don't, you know, Rhino Records yeah. puts out something and that sells. That's what it is. Yeah, thirty or forty thousand yeah. copies, yeah. maybe. Yeah. yeah, they put out a live record from Maxwell's in Hoboken from nineteen eighty six. It's like a famous show. Well, and that's just like music biz too. Like these bands that are such huge influences on the bands that people listen to now and don't necessarily get the acclaim, you know, even, you know, the Ramones didn't make money. Right. You know, no, you, no, you make the money on the road and right. But, and, and but you if, make the money. Without the Ramones, there'd be no green day. You right. know what I mean? And without the replacements, there's no Nirvana. Right. Yeah. Look at bands like X. Right. Mm-hmm. Huge band. Right. Didn't really make that it. That all really. the musicians listen to. I've been listening to a lot to. of television lately. Same. Amazing. Yeah. yeah well, they, and, they didn't make a dime. And like Wilco was like straight up ripping them off. And no, and Absolutely. they've admitted it. Right. Same with Steve Malcolmus, like just will rip off their songs and, and give them credit. But like, yeah, this is a band that like people could Steve Malcolmus could have done Marky Moon from start to finish. Totally. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. But you need that. You need that. Now that they're, now that you hear Ramones uh, songs on, uh, Chevy commercials, right, right? Like that's where Who's, the, where's that just, money going? They're all well. That's dead. going to Johnny's family estate. Members. Yeah, the other family members. Right, that's Crazy. going to estate. That's wow. going to to trusts. But you Crazy. need that as you're a band. Yeah. Do you guys have to deal with a lot of annoying music biz stuff? Um, you know, we've done all of our stuff has been independently produced. We have our own radio company. I put that in quotes because we don't do other albums. Sure. You know what I mean? They're just our own albums that we have a, a company for. Um, no, no. You know, in general, I wrote, I write the 90% of the songs, but we do music by Loudon Swain, lyrics by Rob Benedict, which I think is fair because at the end of the day, I'm not, I'm not writing the drum part. Right. You know, and 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 it, so that makes it a little more fair. So we split anytime we've had a couple of songs placed in TV shows, we split all that four ways. And I'm that's okay. fantastic. Again, going back to like not putting that much pressure on it. I right. Just, uh, but you started doing it for fun and for free. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 So if you sell what 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 song did you sell to a TV show? Just give me an example of that. Uh, Supernatural has uh, used a couple of our songs. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, I think one of them was uh, Worlds Collide. So, what publishing company does that does that go through? Like Warner Brothers Music, because that's a Warner Brothers show. It goes or? through our our publishing companies. Okay, oh, it, Warner Brothers buys it for this TV show, okay. and then they pay your publishing company. Okay, which is you know b- belongs to all four of us. Great. Um, yeah, that's which is good. You know, that's the cool way. Yeah, but the other way splits up bands. Which this gentleman knows very well. Yeah, it does. Right. right. Exactly. Because yeah. when one dude has a hit with something, right, and the other dudes don't get to participate in that, right, then all hell breaks loose. <laughs> you given the signal. Like hand- now you know the hand wave. That and your and your glasses. They're just ninety nine cent store readers. <laughs> That's all they are. 
I went, you know, I, when I started losing my sight, I went to Dr. Brando, who's the doctor who lives in my head, and he's like, yeah, just go to the 99 cent store. <laughs> I got plenty of... Well, here we are. Fast as Here we go. Now we're in... We're just into like the stuff that courses through. But why doesn't everyone know this song? Like everyone, this is musicians. It, musicians do. Absolutely. Young dude, indie rock people yeah. know this. No one else does. Let it be attracted the attention of major record labels and the mats. That's the that's a short for replacements. Placemats. The mats eventually signed with Sire Records, a subsidiary of. Warner Brothers. Sire had Seymour Stein recruited Tommy Ramone, the original drummer of the Ramones, as the producer for their first major label album. Tim, an indie, well, it's not indie rock because it's on Warner Brothers, but Tim is a college rock classic. It was released in October of 1985 and included a number of Matt's classics like Kiss Me on the Bus, Here Comes a Regular, and Bastards of Young. The band spent the remainder of 1985 and a good chunk of 86 touring behind Tim. Replacement story time. In mid-January 1986, the replacements received a last-minute request to appear as the musical guests on Saturday Night Live to replace the Pointer Sisters. They performed Kiss Me on the Bus, uh, Kiss Me on the Bus while completely drunk, as I am now, <laughs> and after playing an out-of-tune version of Bastards of Young, during which Paul Westerberg screamed, Come on, fucker, at Bob Stinson. <laughs> They returned to the stage wearing each other's clothing. <laughs> As a result of their alcoholic performance on SNL, Lorne Michaels banned them from ever returning to the show. It's on YouTube. <laughs> That's amazing. It's on YouTube. Uh, and also, Westerberg fired Bob Stinson later that year, largely due to the fact that Stinson was a so complete drunk. alcoholic and had drug abuse issues. They fired manager Peter Jesperson, who was the guy that discovered them, who owned the records, the famous record store in Minneapolis, Orfolk Joke Opus. And we're talking about the, the beginning of the end for the replacements around that period of time. The story I, I always heard, and I haven't read the book yet, mm-hmm. um, but the story I always heard is that in the, in the studio, they would get so drunk... They would throw up in their hands and then throw it on the roof. So the ceiling of the recording studio was dripping with barf. (laughs) They, yeah, Trouble Boys is the book for replacement nerds. It's an amazing book, and they're self-sabotaging. They were they were fuck up alcoholics who were really amazing. And the the magic of going to see the replacements back in the day was which band are you going to get? Right. Because if you got a band that wasn't drunk enough. It might be bad. Right. If you got a band that was perfectly drunk, drunk right. it would be a magic Perfect. night. Yeah. It would be. A, and if you got a band that was too drunk, mm-hmm. then they might end the show after 20 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And start fighting on stage. Yeah. As a musician, I can honestly say, who likes to drink every once in a while, I can honestly say, like, my best shows are when I'm not totally sober, but not too drunk. You know, but I have had a couple of shows where like, oh, this is what it's like when you're a little too drunk. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and you really, you do have a bit of a, it's only happened a couple of times and innocently. It's just, it's when we go on too late. I get too much time back in a green room that's throwing you at free alcohol at you. Okay. Well, to that point, that's why the Saturday Night Live performance for the replacements went off the rails because right. earlier in the day, they had had a perfect, uh, they'd had a perfect sound check. And then they were locked in a room in 30 Rock. Wow. And someone brought beer to them and they just started drinking. And they were drinking all day long on a Saturday in New York. Jesus. 
And Harry Dean Stanton was the guest that night. Amazing. So he partied with them because he's a complete <laughs> right. lunatic. Yeah. And so by the time they kiss me on the bus, they're 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 fucked up, but they it's a great performance. But by the end, they're annihilated. See, I miss those days of SNL. I want it to be like that now. Well, we weren't I wasn't watching I didn't see that. Mm. Happened live because I because in eighty in the mid eighties SNL wasn't it was like, really shitty. Re- it was really yeah, shitty. Yeah. Well, for so, a while too, didn't they had a different producer for a while? It was, for one year, yeah. yeah Brand, not not Brandon Tartikoff, some name? other guy. Yeah, he used to it's, run NBC. We, he used to run NBC. Yeah. Don Olmeyer, not him. Right. Someone, uh, uh, Bob Ebersol. There you go. Right. Yeah. And then I think that was the Julia Louise Dreyfus. Like, uh, it was definitely the Robert Downey guest. Jr. Right. And uh, Anthony Michael Hall. Right. Yeah. And, and not Ann and, and Cusack so. or, or no, no. Yes, Joni maybe. Cusack. I feel like there was a Cusack. Joni Cusack. Yeah. There was a Cusack. There was a Cusack. Susie Cusack. This is what we know. We know there was a Cusack. <laughs> Billy Cusack. <laughs> um, so do you, did Lauren Michaels ever uh, let... Lift the band. Yeah. Paul Westerberg did perform on Saturday Night Live okay. years later. Okay. But the replacements were not asked back. <laughs> right. Well. Yeah. But that's all on YouTube for those of you who are playing along at home. Yeah, and worth checking out. I mean, worth checking out. Just you know, Google them live, and watch, see if you can find a good show. Did you want to do the sketch comedy? In in my life, did I ever want yeah. to do sketch did, comedy? Did, did you have that drive? Did you uh, want to get into that? I did. Did you I, want to do Second City? Um, you know, I I Meow Show is not something I did. Meow Show was this big sketch comedy show that uh, at Northwestern where we went to school. Yeah, I didn't do that. Um, but I was into comedy and I would do sketch shows out here. Like you know, you invite your friends to come see you do sketch shows. Right. Um, and I, I started getting into stand up comedy, but I never was like, I've got to do growling. I'm going to do it. I was just like, I felt like I'd done four years of fucking intense acting school. Right. The last thing I want to do is to go back into a school. Right. So, so you didn't do growling. So I didn't do it. I just did okay. stand up comedy. Right. And I, I learned a lot. I met a lot of cool. It was around the time like Zach Galifianakis was taken off as a stand up, and he right. would do the show that I produced. And and I what know, was that show? Tell me that show. So it was called Die Laughing, and it was me and John Quaintance, who also went to Northwestern. Right. He's a, a big writer. Big now. writer now. Yeah, a comedy writer, and he's a he's a really smart, funny guy. Anyway, he kind of got me into it and we started, we're like, rather than asking around to get into someone else's show, we're like, let's just do our own show. So we did our own show once a month at, uh, where the uncab used to be underneath, uh, at the, at the, on, on Robertson. Yes. Uh, that, that was called uh, the, La, Luna Park. Yes. Luna Park. Mm-hmm. Downstairs at Luna Park. Yep. There, there was a, a cabaret stage. Mm-hmm. I think it was called the cabaret. Yeah. And there was a famous stand-up show there. They called the un, Be- uncabaret. The, the Beth Lapidus show. show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you could see people like Sarah Silverman do like off the cuff sketches. They, they would do, I'm sorry, not sketches, uh, bits that were not rehearsed or written. Right. So they would, they would just like, some people would get up there, you know, and, and just like look at a notebook and try right. out new jokes anyway. But we had a show there as well. And it was just a stamp show. And, and who else was, who, so, looking uh, back, who got in that show? Uh, Zach Galifianakis. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. um, uh, who's the guy who wrote the book? He's just not that into you. Greg Barrett. Yeah. Greg Barrett. My buddy, Greg. Um, yeah, lots of great people. And yeah. that I'm not so you had a lot right of the alternative comics. Yeah. And so, show. yeah, so I got into that and then I saw myself going, re- getting really into that and I just didn't like that path. Yeah. I was like, I don't think I want to just do, you really have to get up there and schlep every night of the week, sometimes several times a night. And I just didn't want to do that. This is why we should have been best friends for the last 30 years because <laughs> I had the same experience. Really? Well, because I signed with Gersh off of doing a one-man show in like 96. Which one-man show? I did a one-man show called The Chump Train. Okay. 
And it was about me chasing this girl who wasn't into me. She was actually in love with Liev Shriver. It was a true story. Oh, wow. But I built this show and I and it popped a little bit and I got signed by Gersh because of it. Like I would used to do it at the Acme Comedy Theater on, on La Brea. I did it at the theater at the Improv. I did it at the Actors Gang. And so when Gersh signed me, they would put me up. I would do Largo. I would do Largo every once in a while. I would do the Comedy Store. Uh, I did Laugh Factory. I did all those places because mm-hmm. the Gersh the Gersh agents could book you oh, anywhere wow. they wanted to. Wow. So I had the experience of doing, and I've and I've done Greg Barron's Bring the Rock, but even then, I did that. I knew that I didn't have the same drive. Yeah, as because it didn't. I'm good at telling a story. Mm-hmm. I'm not great at jokes. Right. You know what I mean? Yes, and me neither. And that's why where it worked best for me was the show that we produced because I could talk about whatever. Right. And I literally would like recap my week. Right. Understood. My my best format was Greg Barron's Bring the Rock, where I could talk about rock. Sure. Yeah. But I didn't have. I even like squaring myself up against like my quote unquote like the other people that were doing it. Not they weren't peers, but you know people like Patton Oswalt and Paul Tompkins and Greg. And Blaine Capich and Karen mm-hmm. Kogariff mm-hmm. and all of those people mm-hmm. that were doing alternative comedy yeah. in L.A. They would do three. They would go yeah. three places a night. Oh yeah, d- d- yeah. Zach. And me doing like one place a month was like that's great. And oh, they're yeah. like, no, every night you yeah. got to go to this bookstore in Wexwood. You yeah. got to drive to Pasadena to do this fucking thing. Yeah. Then you got to drive down to Venice to do this thing. And then you have to do the fucking Onyx on Vermont and yeah. Los Feliz. Yeah. And I did not have that no. drive. Uh uh-uh. uh. Blaine Capach did our show, and Tiggin Nataro was yeah. also. Um, but I, yeah, same. And I had one, I had a bad show at the Improv uh-huh. and f- with a lot of tourists there. And I just, I didn't have the bits. And I tried to make my act into bits and yeah. it just didn't work. It, yeah. and, and it didn't also didn't work to be like, so this is my week, you know, either. So, and it just didn't, it just, I just kind of bombed. And I was like, eh, yeah. it's just not what I meant to be doing. I went on stage as Jesus at the Improv <laughs> once. I like it. And tried to do <laughs> a Jesus set. A Jesus set. <laughs> And I got a call the next day from Gersh, and they were like, what were you doing? Oh, my God. Last night, we got word that you appeared on stage as Jesus. Oh, my God. What were you doing? Uh, Look how much this has changed. From so, the punk. So much. To I'll Be You. This was another big one for me, though. because this Amazing. Is, this is 1989. I'll Be You. The replacements carried on as a trio. For their college rock classic, Please to Meet Me. And that had the song, Alex Chilton, which we heard at the top of the show. Please Meet Me was recorded in Memphis with big star producer Jim Dickinson and also included Valentine and The Ledge. Minneapolis guitarist Slim Dunlop took over for Bob Stinson uh, for the tour of Please to Meet Me and soon became a full member of the band. The band's next album, 1989's Don't Tell a Soul, was a quieter, less punky affair and largely considered an attempt at mainstream success. And this song... You could argue is them trying to be R.E.M. While the move cost the replacements some hardcore fans, the album had some notable songs like Aiken to Be and I'll Be You. And it did uh, top the Billboard Modern Rock chart, but I don't know if that means anything, Richard. So there it was, was probably go. their most successful album? This was their most successful uh-huh. album. Yeah, absolutely. There was trouble within the band following a disastrous tour opening for Petty. And you saw that? I saw that at Poplar Creek. And here was the disaster was, and then I'll read this other dumb thing. Uh, the, the disaster was, it was the Petty crowd. Right. It wasn't a replacements crowd. Right. We went out to Poplar Creek, which is like the open air, the old open air amphitheater in Chicago. 
the summer of 89 and we're so fucking excited and they came out to like Poplar Creek being a quarter full because all the Chicago suburban kids were in the parking lot drinking and smoking weed getting ready for Petty oh Jesus and the Petty fans that were there in the arena were like what is this oh no because they didn't know it yeah they did not know they didn't play the replacements on the loop yeah that's not a good pairing no, and someone someone in the Heartbreakers must have been a Replacements yeah, fan. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Musicians love them. Yeah, yeah. And the Replacements got super bummed out on that oh, tour. Man. They got mad. They got mad, they got mad, they got mad, they got mad. And was that it? Well, this is the beginning of the end, because yeah. I'll just read you this little blurb. Westerberg exerted more control over the band's creative output and even recorded their final album, 1990's All Shook Down, with a bunch of session musicians, largely. Mm. Chris Mars was also replaced by drummer Steve Foley, leaving only Tommy and Paul as the original members of the band. On July 4th, 1991, the band played their last show in Chicago's Grant Park. Were you there for that? No. No, I totally missed that. Yeah, they played a free show. Was it? For XRT, for well, WXRT. And, and what was Chicago. the lineup? It was Paul, Tommy... Slim Dunlop and this uh, drummer Steve Foley. Right. I saw that tour in San Diego. Okay. Oddly. Huh. Yeah. But it was Paul and Tommy. It was Paul and Tommy. Yeah. But it. But, but then that that album all shook down. Was also super quiet. It was like a, a Westerberg solo record. Right. It wasn't a replacement right. record. Right. And then they disbanded. Wow. And I was fucking crushed. Yeah. Crushed. 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 And if he's reliving all those albums, like there's not a bad album in that bunch. They're incredible records. Yeah. Yeah. Not a bad record. And then was there a reunion? There was a reunion that started in the in like 2012, 2013. They played a, a Riot Fest in Denver and in Chicago. And then they did do a tour in like 2014, 2015. They played the Palladium here in L.A. two nights in a row. I went to those shows. And it was Paul and Tommy and Josh Freeze on drums. And a guy, I think from the band Hold Steady on guitar. Oh, okay. They were amazing. But... Richard might be interested in this. They were already fighting with the management team that was dealing with them. Huh. And Paul Westerberg found out that that management team was stealing from them. Oh, shit. And he had a freak out. Oh, my God. And basically, that was it for any future replacement. It's Thing. not going to happen ever wow. again. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. But they also, not to get heavy, but they also never dealt with the death of Bob Stinson. Yeah. I could do a whole, which I could was, do like a week long which was replacements when? pod. pod uh, he died in the early 90s, I think. Okay. I don't know the exact date, but, but that was Tommy's half brother. Yeah. And they kicked him out of the band. And when they kicked Bob Stinson out of the band, he kind of went into a weird nosedive. Mm. I mean, the replacements was kind of his band. Yeah. And then he tried to do his own band, yeah. but he was basically just a guy who wandered around Minneapolis and would like show up at your house and drink and, you know? Yeah. And so when he died, they just never dealt with like the sin of kicking him out of the band. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. crazy. And you look at that too. Like this is a band that, like I said, it's influenced so many people. <sighs> they just never, it just like, you know, and then you look at a band like U2 that just sticks together for 40 years. Yep. Um, it's just it's amazing when a band does stick together because there's so many there's so many factors that can break a band apart. Well, and also the indie rock explosion with yeah. Nirvana, right? 
Soul Asylum gets to benefit from yeah. that. Urge Overkill gets right. to benefit from right. that. Sonic Youth even got to benefit Absolutely. from that. Absolutely. Everyone benefited not, from the, the success of Nirvana yeah. except the replacements. It's a timing thing. It's, a ti- yeah. it's all timing, dude. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're right. All those bands did Soul Asylum got more credit maybe than they even deserved in terms of you know, I, I like Soul Asylum a lot, I but they weren't, there were no replacements. But. They were not. They were fucking incredible in the mid 80s because yeah. I saw them a ton in Chicago. Oh, wow. Before. Before they cheesed out. Uh, before they went okay. mainstream and wrote mainstream hits uh, like Runaway Train. Exactly. They were like the replacements. They were like the replacements' little brothers from Minneapolis. Right. They were fucking incredible. Like one of the best shows I ever saw was 1988. We drove up to Madison wow. to see Soul Asylum at the Student Union in Madison. And I mean, there were just kids hanging off the off the ceiling. Wow. It was amazing. What was their first hit before Runaway Train? It was like six or Runaway, whatever. 16, 16 or something. Something about an. I don't. I was like, I'm having a brain. It was glitch. another or another hit before that one. Anyway, um, Urge Overkill, I loved. Um, what else was I going to say? Oh, what about Lemonheads? Same thing. Yeah. Completely the same thing. Yeah. There's no Lemonheads without the replacements. No, no, no. But he was good. He was very talented. It's a shame about Ray is a replacement song. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's but a they're shame amazing. About Ray. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. They're amazing. Yeah. yeah we, we've really gone down the, the road of, of some replacements talk. Here. I love it. I love it. And, you know, um, I'm, honestly, I, I'm. There's still things I'm finding out about music. That's why I love talking about music. I, I don't like saying, like, this is what I know. I really like finding out more. Is Pearl Jam your band? They're one of them. You know, Pearl Jam, it's one of those things where I liked them. I was, like, fan club member in, like, 94. Nice. Um, and I saw them early on. I saw them at Lollapalooza in Chicago. Nice. Uh, and that was, like, 92. Um, and just really, it was like, there's something about this lead singer that I'm like, wow, I wish I had that. And it really, we hadn't heard that, that, that tenor, um, or that baritone voice before. Mm-hmm. So there's something about, and I love Nirvana. Um, so yeah, there's something about the grunge scene. It was, I, I, I liked that. And so I kind of held on to that with them. They mean more than Pearl Jam to me now. Now that's like my brother likes them and we kind of, you know, they, they have a new album coming out now. So we're like, Hey, Jeer. But it's not like what I really want to feel something. I listen to that. Understood. Like Radiohead. I love. Right. And so I, do I. I will listen to Radiohead. Yeah. And I'll get the feels. Incredible live. Incredible. You know what? I was just thinking about you guys, all these bands you guys were talking about, they had amazing front men. Mm-hmm. I mean, Paul Westerberg. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Evan Danda. Mm-hmm. Dave Perner. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. Morrissey. Yes. All these bands mm-hmm. had amazing yes. front men. That's right. Music Today, name a few front men to you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like, can't like the big personality, I, I, the mysterious, well, see, uh, yeah, there's not, individual. I have admitted this on, I have admitted this and I think you'll understand this. I've said oh, this to Richard. Swain, of course. Thank you. Because, <laughs> because I was the guy who should have worked at vintage vinyl. Yeah. Who knew about bands. Once I, once I became a replacements fan, then I became indie rock guy mm-hmm. and I had to know who was coming out before they got together. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I had to be the guy that knew about, I was more interested in being that guy than getting the lead in the show at school mm. if that makes sense mm-hmm, totally that was so my thing and mm-hmm. and taking people to clubs i was the guy that took people to clubs i was the guy that said we're all going to see bob mould's first show at the cabaret metro who's good to do is broken up and i took like frat and sorority girls yeah. to you know see him yeah. like i was that guy 
by the time the late nineties rolled around, I was so exhausted from that that I couldn't do it anymore. And I, and I basically kind of closed the door on modern music a little bit uh, and just went back 60s and 70s. The, the Turtles, Peter the Frampton. Association, let's, yeah. you know, let's do the whole Kinks catalog. Like I became that guy because it was so exhausting to be the person who like had to find new music. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I, so I, I couldn't name it. Anybody. Well, I mean, I think, you know, I, I still, I still am on the lookout cause I'm, I'm like looking for that, that first, well, you said that you like, KCL. I do. I, cause right. I like the first hit of that drug. I'm looking for the, I'm uh-huh. looking for that feeling again. It's, it's rare. And a lot yeah. of times I'll just go back and listen to my favorite Radiohead album or my favorite, or now I'm way into television and I refine them out like I'm Love hearing it. them for the first time. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, Dave Grohl, but he's a different, he's of a different era, but he's a great front man. But now you have a lot of people like, you know, Wilco, my morning jacket bands I like, um, even the national. I mean, that's a good front man, but still, it's, I, I do like the national. It's, he's an understated front man. I don't know. know his name. Yeah. That's what I mean. What, what's his name? Uh, his what's name? his name? I don't know his name. What's his? Mike. Rob? <laughs> no. It's Jeff. Not, it's not like a Rob. <laughs> They've got brothers. Yes. They're, 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 he, he's in the band and, and his brother's in the band. No, his brother was the filmmaker of that oh, documentary. the documentary. That's and right. And they've got twin brothers as on guitars. Okay. And then the bass player and the drummer are also brothers. Chris Martin might be the last like uh, modern yeah. person that I could name yeah, as a lead singer. I mean, man. I love Liam. I, I, I was a huge mm. Oasis, Oasis and fan. Blur guy. Mm-hmm. But, Liam, but yeah. you're talking Liam. about like I couldn't name the lead singer of the Killers. I couldn't name the lead Brenda singer. Flowers. Okay, yeah, good job, Rob. But you I don't love them. I I'm don't just talking them. about that kind of edgy. You know that guy with a lot of um, personality. <laughs> For some that, reason, you know, yeah, the fucked up kind of, alcoholic. Yeah, got charisma. Edgy, the guy that you didn't um, know what was going to happen when he got on stage. The charismatic you know? front. You know who else was? I saw a documentary on this guy. I'm about to say who's not alive anymore. Uh, who I thought was this way it was uh, Michael Hutchins. On a, um, like, I wish the world had him. Yeah. I loved it. I, that was another great show. I saw NXS and, and Public Image Limited at UIC Pavilion. Wow. And she got on the kick tour. Wow. Amazing. Wow. He, They're amazing. He really... Amazing. I, can, can you, I was watching a documentary about him, like their early shows. Can you imagine seeing them and being like, well, this guy's got it. Yeah. yeah. No, totally. You know what? I, my, my favorite thing is like if you're ever in Hollywood or Los Feliz or Silver Lake and you see a band walking, like a young band walking on the street. Oh, yeah, totally. You can always go... That's the lead drummer. Singer, yeah. That's the guitar player. <laughs> That's the guy. And yeah. there's the lead, lead singer. singer. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And he's always walking in front, totally. and he's thinner than everybody uh-huh. else. And <laughs> Talking he's pretty, the most. And he's ta- right. It's just it's just so classic. Richard and I were at the Rainbow a number of weeks ago at the Rainbow and Sunset, and Eddie Trunk. It was like a, a metal night, and Eddie Trunk from Sirius Radio was doing a live show from the Rainbow. So all these bands were there. And our friend Ahmed Zappa invited this young band. What was the name of the band that came to the table, Richard? The Vultures. Uh, the Bensons. The, <laughs> the, the Condors. The Cocktoes. Just two young Beatles. dudes mm-hmm. came to the table, but they'd been guests on Eddie's show, and it was so crystal clear who the lead singer was <laughs> and who the guitarist was. It was like you could not cast them. Yeah. yeah you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if anything, yeah, I, I, there's a band called the 1979 that I don't know well at all, but uh-huh. they seem to have a young charismatic fella right. singing for him. But I was going to say a lot of the bands that I like are the real understated lead singer who kind of like, you know, like uh, a lot of times band lead singer now will be like on the far right at like stage, <laughs> stage right. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
And like yeah. the drummer's the actually the one up front. Sure. Right. Yeah, because we're different. It's ironic. Right. Yeah, exactly. We're different. That's hysterical. You know, Ryan Adams had that when he was with Whis- Whiskey Town. Mm. Never knew what we were going to get. Yeah. Ryan, Ryan Adams. Adams. Yeah, yeah. Ryan yeah. Adams. Not Brian Adams. I saw Whiskey Ryan Town. Adams. <laughs> I saw Ryan Adams at the uh, House of Blues appearance that used to be on Sunset. Now it's yeah. gone. Right. Um, and he was a train wreck. Yeah. This was back during yeah. Heartbreaker. Yeah. But he was, yeah. He jumped on stage with Bob Mould, one of the Bob Mould no shows way. here in the last couple of years. And then, then it came out that he's a scumbag. Yeah, it's a and bummer. He, yeah, it's a bummer. But he was a fan, was, I mean, he's he was still a fan alive. of any rock. He's a fan of any rock. He was a big, um, uh, Sebado fan. Yep. And, uh, uh, Lou Barlow, lead singer of Sebado, who was also in uh, Dinosaur Jr. Just saw Dinosaur. I did too. I okay, saw him, so I, I was there. I saw him in Vancouver. See, I saw him in Vancouver, but okay. yes. Yeah, same show. We saw the Again, same show. Another reason why we should be best friends. I know, man. Well, I think this is it. This is it. It's the beginning <laughs> our of our bromance. It's yeah. the beginning of our bromance. <laughs> it is. Rob, we've been talking for a while. It's time to wrap things up. Okay. Well, I had a great time. Uh, and we, by the, Let me just say quick tangent. By the time this show comes out on Tuesday, you and I are going to be recording, again, Art of Marines, Will You Accept This Rose That's podcast. Right. We're That's going to right. be talking about the brand new season of The Bachelor. Speaking right. of edgy and mysterious. Oh, man. <laughs> and you guys are, you guys are <laughs> rocking it. Well, Peter, you know, I think Peter's got a lot of choices this year. And so far, I think that Hannah B is... Uh, I think Peter could be a great front man. So disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> but it's going to be... I can't wait to do Arden's podcast coming up this week. Me too. Where else can people okay look watch what can they okay. watch um, where can they go um, I'm on uh, the show Supernatural which has about uh, 10 episodes left is this the final season this of Supernatural it. yeah season dude. 15 have you been on Supernatural I've the whole been on time since season 4 fuck yeah dude recurring you know I'm, I'm, yeah. I come and I go but that's uh, a, I'm, 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 I have kind of a big arc this season fuck which is fun. yeah dude yeah um, and so that's uh, starts airing again this week okay great Thursday and then this weekend Loud and Swain is going to be in Austin at the North Door it's Love called it. the North Door okay Okay. Not the red door. No, not the red door. <laughs> the Don't door, go. Door. If you go to the red door, we're not going to be there. Um, so, uh, yeah, do that, and then I'm going to San Francisco on on Sunday for the Arden's live uh, Arden's live show. Yeah, yeah, which is going to be a big deal. Uh, that's yeah. going to be a packed theater at Sketchfest yeah. in San Francisco. Yeah. So yeah, if well, you're up there, comedy one the, nerds, one of the Bachelorettes is going to be on the show. Oh, do you know who? Yeah, I can't think of her name right now, but yeah, she, yeah, I one can, of them. Uh, one of them, you know. And Dean, I think she's friends with Dean. Dean, she's and I think she's friends with Wills. Too. Yeah, she is. She is. She is. <laughs> so That's sad so... that we know that on the heels of all this great rock information. I know, but it's fun. It's a guilty <laughs> it pleasure. Is, it's totally fun. It's a lot of fun. Okay, so that's and uh, Twitter handle at uh, Rob Benedict. At Rob Benedict, yeah, and Instagram at uh, Rob Benedict with just one B. Row Benedict on Instagram. Fantastic, supernatural. Congratulations on that. Thanks, that's, man. That's very awesome to be again. So thank you for coming. <laughs> what are you playing? This is it. This is Loud and Swain, man. Oh. <laughs> That's fantastic. I was like, it? No, because I was going to have him play They Might Be Giants were the replacements. So, so, ah, but this is better. Yeah. This is your Eskimo song. To, let's listen to a little Loud and Swain. And thank you, Richard, for coming in. You're welcome. Thank you, Rob, for being here. You're this welcome. is so awesome. Thanks for having me. I'm so, so fucking happy. Yeah. I can't text you an Eskimo. show me.